All right. Thank you for being here again, Sammy. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me again. Happy 4th of July weekend. Extended. Happy 4th of July weekend. I know. I was looking at the calendar because the next year we get three-day weekends for I think the next two years or something. Trying to figure out how many three-day weekends we get with the 4th of July holiday. Nice. Planning ahead. I know. It's annoying when it ends in, it's like in the middle of the week. So you have Monday, Tuesday, have Wednesday off. Yeah. I'll take what I can get. Absolutely. All right. So we're a little late, but I thought for the month of June, it would be really fun to do an episode about Sally Ride. And I thought it would pair really well with the last episode we did all about awesome people in space. Yeah, this is a great idea. I think it'll be really fun. And so we're going to split it. Sammy's going to do the first half. I'm going to do the second half, which I unintentionally filled with a bunch of tangents that I thought were interesting. (laughs) Great. So sorry, everyone. But I'm really excited to hear about this, Sammy. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming back. We love having you. Me too. Me too. Thanks for inviting me again. I'm excited to talk about Sally Ride. Me too. Will you do a little introduction just in case this is the first time anybody's joined us? Sure. My name is Samantha, better known as Sammy. I'm currently a mechanical engineer. Anna is a dear friend, and I really like listening to her and Henna's podcast. Henna, if you're out there, I miss you. We miss you. I miss you too. (laughs) Henna had to take a little break for a while, but don't worry, she's coming back soon. Unfortunately, we have Sammy here, the wonderful Sammy, to come and sub in. All right. I'm Anna. I'm Sammy. And this is... But But it it is rocket science. science. Perfect. Man, you're really good at that. (laughs) When I lined them up for the last one, they fit perfectly. I was really impressed. (laughs) After the first one, uh, this is embarrassing, but after the first one, I was like, how hard is it to get this right? And I like just started talking to myself. (laughs) Like, but it is rocket science. It's really hard when you're not in the same room because there's like a little bit of a delay. Yeah. Um, I also think, like, as people, we wait to hear the other person change. And so because of that, nobody goes. It just ends up, like, being (laughs) a weird thing. All right. Yeah, and then we're missing missing the, like, nonverbal body language. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) All right. I'm excited to hear about Sally Ride, if you're ready to get going. Yeah, I'm ready whenever you are. Let's get going. I need to hear about the beginning of her life. I jumped right through the middle, so I missed a whole lot. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, you have really an extra interesting portion. Yours is interesting, too. (laughs) Sally Ride was born, Sally Kristen Ride, born May 26, 1951, in Encino, California. If you don't know where that is, that is the, quote-unquote, the valley, if you've heard of it, in L.A. Um, I didn't realize that was the valley. Yep. Mm-hmm. San Fernando Valley, still in Los Angeles, town of Encino. Her father was Dale Ride, and her mom was Carol Anderson Ride. And she has one younger sibling, younger sister named Karen Ride. Both of her parents were elders of the Presbyterian Church, and her sister is now a Presbyterian minister. So for a second there, I thought you were just saying they were old. And I was like, yeah, I hope they would be older than her. (laughs) And then then you finished the sentence and I was like, oh, that's the different use of the word. And that makes a lot more sense. I had to reread that also. The use of the word elders. I hadn't seen it like that in a while. Yeah, I forget that it has a religious context to it as well. 
Her parents, they both worked. Her mom was a volunteer counselor at a women's correctional facility, and her dad was a political science professor at Santa Monica College. Wow. Yeah. She credits her parents with fostering both her and her sister's sense of adventure and exploration from a young age. That's so nice. Sally went to Portola Junior High and Birmingham High School. She graduated from a private high school, actually, Westlake School for Girls in L.A., which she attended on a partial tennis scholarship. And that Westlake School was a university prep school. Gotcha. She was always interested in science. Her favorite subject was math, and she liked astronomy and physical science as well. Even in an elementary school and in junior high, in an interview, she said she was very interested in space and the space program. In this same interview, she went on to say that the space program was on the front page of the newspaper almost every day. It was the coolest thing around. She idolized the astronauts, but never thought really seriously about becoming one. Her passion was science. So when she went to college and grad school, she was on a path to become a physicist. She wanted to work at a university as a professor and physics researcher. Wow. Yeah. Ambitious kid. I should Uh, not be surprised at all. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) But what you might be surprised about is that she was pretty athletic, and she was actually a nationally ranked tennis player. Wow. Yeah. She began playing at age 10. And after that, that's what led her to win the Westlake School Scholarship on tennis. And she was ranked in the top 20 nationally on the junior tennis circuit. I think she was number 18. She pursued tennis seriously for a while when she first graduated high school. After putting some full-time effort into her tennis career, she eventually decided that playing every day was not for her. She joked that she stopped playing tennis because of, quote-unquote, a bad forehand. (laughs) It blows my mind. She was like, all right, I tried being a professional tennis player, and I just don't think that's for me, so I guess I'll go be an astronaut. (laughs) Yep, yeah. What? It's, yeah. Mae Jemison did the same thing. Like She was like, I didn't know if I was going to be a doctor or a professional dancer. That's right. What? <laughs> Completely different forks in the road. Normally, if a person accomplishes one of those things, that's considered a lot. It's very impressive. Because even one of her earlier heroes, Billie Jean King, a pro tennis player, I don't know that much about her, but she even told Sally Ride that she had the talent to become a professional tennis player, and that's what motivated her to pursue that. Billie Jean King, she's the subject of a movie called Battle of the Sexes. I wish I remembered the year. It was this very famous tennis match. There was a famous male tennis player who was basically like, I can beat women in professional tennis. They're not good enough. And Billie Jean King was like, that's not true. I can beat you. And the movie is about this game between Billie Jean King and this guy whose name I can't remember. Oh, that sounds like a good movie. It is. I believe it's called Battle of the Sexes, but I am Googling it now. It is. It's called Battle of the Sexes. It came out in 2017. Emma Stone is in it. She plays Billie Jean King. And Steve Carell plays, yeah, Steve Carell plays the the male tennis player. His name was Bobby Riggs. That's uh, pretty recent. I love both of those actors. You should watch it. It's a really good movie. (laughs) I think I will. As a female, it's very empowering. Nice. Yeah, I like Emma Stone. Yeah, she's great. I like her too. Uh, 
Yes. So after Sally Ride graduated high school, she actually went back east to Swarthmore College, which was a private liberal arts school in Pennsylvania, and she was enrolled in the physics program. She was only there for three semesters. She left there because she wanted to pursue tennis. Um, oh, so she during, graduated high school, started college, decided to try professional tennis, and then I'm guessing went back to college? Yes. Yeah. So as I understand it, during her first three semesters, she was still playing very regularly. She wanted to try tennis. And after a while, after playing tennis every day for months, she decided that it wasn't a very good long-term career compared with science. She left that and started taking physics courses at UCLA and then enrolled at Stanford University as a junior, where she graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in English and a Bachelor of Science in Physics. And Yeah. (laughs) She stayed at Stanford for her master's degree, which she earned in 1975, and then a later PhD in 1978 while she was doing research on interaction of x-rays with the interstellar medium. Her specific areas of study were astrophysics and free electron lasers. So just easy stuff. Just easy stuff. Like we mentioned earlier, she thought she would grow up to be a physics professor. That was her track, which she eventually did do. But in 1977, while still at Stanford... A little while before she was set to defend her Ph.D. thesis, she saw an ad in the Stanford student newspaper from NASA calling for astronaut applications. That's crazy that they advertised (laughs) in college newspapers. In college newspapers, yeah. I guess that's what you did before the internet. Yep, yep. According to some biographies of her, the moment she saw that ad, She knew that that was what she really wanted to do, given the opportunity. After that, her life took a big turn. Her family, she credits to being very supportive and excited for her. And some of her heroes growing up were a high school science teacher that she had who encouraged her to pursue science. Billie Jean King, the tennis player, and the early astronauts like John Glenn and Neil Armstrong. Much of her personal life is very private by design. She liked it that way, and she put a lot of importance to the content that she did share about herself and her life. Mm -hmm. That was awesome, Sammy. Thanks, Anna. Yeah, it was really inspiring to read about her. I know. I actually really like reading about their early lives. Some of it feels relatable. Again, the part where she could choose between getting a PhD in physics or being a professional tennis player is not relatable to me. But It is kind of relatable because one stereotype that people have of astronauts is that they know from a very young age that they're going to be an astronaut and they focus everything on that from a young age. But it's not always the case because it wasn't until after high school and into college for Sally Ride that she really made the decision. That's such a good point. I think it's just interesting because you see these people and you see them, they become, I don't, famous feels wrong for her, popular, known, well-known. Well-known feels like a better word for her. I feel like she wouldn't want to be considered famous from what I know of her. She became so well-known 
because of everything they've accomplished. And so that's the first thing you see of them. That it feels almost untouchable. She's achieved incredible things. But she also had a childhood and went to high school like the rest of us. Yeah, it's funny that you brought that up about her not wanting to be famous. She had a good quote from an interview that I read about her where she said, I never went into physics or the astronaut corps to become a role model. But after my first flight, it became clear to me that I was one. And I began to understand the importance of that to people. Oh, that's so, so lovely. Yeah, I don't think she necessarily wanted the fame. No, I don't think so either. That'll come up in a little bit. But yeah. first of all, before we get there, got to talk about her astronaut career. So as Sammy mentioned, she saw that article in the Stanford Student Newspaper. I desperately tried to find it, but my inner news sleuthing skills were not good enough. I was hoping to find the original ad or at least the text of it. I couldn't find it. If anybody out there knows where it is, I would just be interested to see what it says. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool to see. I thought so too, but I couldn't find it. On January 16th, 1978, she was announced as one of 35 people chosen for astronaut group eight out of 8,000 applicants. Of the 35 astronauts chosen, six were women, three were male African-Americans, and one was a male Asian-American. So I'm assuming the other 25 were white men. I'm guessing that's why they weren't called out specifically. (laughs) This was the first group ever to admit women. No previous astronaut group had admitted women. Wow. I know, which is a bummer because (laughs) it took us a while to get there, but that's okay. We made it. Did it, yeah. We got there. Six women, actually, for that time, maybe seems like a good amount. Yeah, It was, and I touch into that a little bit before we get there. Group 8 was the first group of astronauts chosen in nine years, and this was as a result of the gap between the end of the Apollo program in 1972 and the first flight of the space shuttle in 1981. They ended Apollo, which was the Saturn V program where we brought astronauts to the moon. In 1972, they almost immediately announced the shuttle program, but then they obviously had to work on the shuttle to make it happen. So that was what that gap was about. And kind of exactly in line with what Sammy mentioned, I was curious about why NASA finally decided to admit women. found a New York Times article that was written to commemorate the life of Sally Ride. And Sally Ride is actually quoted in the article saying, the women's movement had already paved the way, I think, for my coming. Then that made me curious about the women's movement. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, the women's rights movement was a, and this is a quote, diverse social movement largely based in the United States that in the 1960s and 70s sought equal rights and opportunities and greater personal freedom for women. It's actually a really interesting article. I'll have it linked in our show notes. But then this got me really curious about something called the ERA or the Equal Rights Amendment. So the Equal Rights Amendment is a proposed amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which was designed to guarantee equal legal rights for all American citizens, regardless of sex. It was passed by the Senate on March 22, 1972, but it needed to be ratified by 38 states. That's three-fourths out of the 50, and it failed to receive that necessary number of ratifications. As a side note here, sexual equality aside from the right to vote is not explicitly protected in the U.S. Constitution, but that's a conversation for another time. There's a Hulu series called, (laughs) we won't get into that now, just as a fun (laughs) side note. There's actually a Hulu series called Mrs. America, which actually goes into this. But I was just curious about when the ERA was compared to everything that was going on here. So that was Mm 1972-ish. And Sally Ride was chosen in 1978. I think that really part of the reason why they chose so many women is I think there might have been some cultural pressure on NASA 
to start including women. And I'm thinking because it was the first time they included women, they picked a lot of them compared to the total. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially if you think of six of 35, right now you'd be like, wow, that's not a lot. But if you also compared the number of women who were probably qualified to be an astronaut in the year 1978, I bet it was pretty small. Right. And at that time, too, I think NASA was still looking specifically for people with test pilot history, and there weren't many female test pilots. Yeah. Actually, it's really interesting that you bring that up. This is one of the first groups where they took people who weren't pilots. Oh, okay. They ended up training Sally Ride to become a pilot. Actually, perfectly ties in that you mentioned that. Previously, most astronauts had been test pilots or required to be test pilots. In this group, at least Sally Ride was not. So they were taking people who weren't test pilots, which is part of the reason why she applied, because she realized she didn't need to be a pilot. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Right? So that's neat. But getting, <laughs> getting back on track, while I was looking into why NASA decided to admit women to Group 8, I found one of the most interesting articles I have ever read, and it's actually a chapter of a book called Societal Impact on Spaceflight. Specifically, what I am referring to is chapter 22 titled Racism, Sexism, and Space Ventures, Civil Rights at NASA in the Nixon Era and Beyond, and it's written by a woman named Kim McQuaid. It's actually posted on the NASA website. We'll also have that linked in the show notes. We could do an entire episode solely about this chapter. It talks all about a woman named Ruth Bates Harris, who is an African-American woman who was hired as NASA headquarters director of Equal Opportunity, which was a new position and she was hired on August 25th, 1971. She's an amazing woman. If you're wondering why you have never heard of her, she was essentially kept from doing much at NASA. Hmm. I'm thinking if NASA hired her in 71, it sounds like there's just a lot of societal and cultural pressure around equality just in general. Yeah, and that's a title that definitely sounds good. Director of Equal Opportunity. It sounds very current, very modern. All right. I'm sorry, everybody. I just start researching stuff, and then I get on tangents, and it's interesting stuff, and I don't want to get rid of it. Don't apologize. This is interesting. All right, but we're really back on track this time, I promise. So, in 1978, Ride began her astronaut training while at the same time completing her evaluation course for her PhD. Ride's astronaut training consisted of parachute jumping, water survival, weightlessness, G-force conditioning, and learning to fly a jet plane, in case the previous things just weren't enough. As you do. Parachute jumping and water survival. I know, right? But she ended up switching to actually focusing on engineering. For NASA, at least anyway. She did a lot of engineering work. In August of 1979, she completed her training and also obtained a pilot's license. This made her eligible for assignment as a space shuttle mission specialist. She was chosen as a crew member for STS-7 as mission specialist 2. The mission commander, Robert L. Crippen, chose her in part because of her expertise with the robotic arm. She actually helped to design that. The mission had five crew members total, including Ride, and was the largest crew to fly in a single spacecraft up to that point. Before her flight, reporters asked her numerous probing questions focused on her gender. Again, quoted from the New York Times article, she would be asked, would spaceflight affect her reproductive organs? Did she plan to have children? Would she wear a bra or makeup in space? Did she cry on the job? How would she deal with menstruation in space? Oh, yeah. Such great questions. <laughs> right? Uh, now I look at them and they just make me cringe internally and externally. Right. She would be asked many times about if she was worried about the toilet facilities. 
I know, which is like the last thing I would be worried about. Yeah. I'm not sure how I would respond to these questions. That's the thing. They're all just, uh, it's just icky. Actually, if you are curious about period in space, we have an episode on that. I think it's episode three, Space Medicine. But essentially, periods in space is one of the reasons it's claimed that why it took them so long to get women to space. They were afraid about women having periods in space. Um, Wow. I know. Spoiler alert. It's really not that big a deal. (laughs) I actually think there's something about how they asked Sally Ride if like 45 tampons would be good for her trip. She was like, "It's, it's six days. (laughs) Like, <laughs> that's that's a lot of tampons <laughs> let me see if i can find the actual quote that's pretty funny oh okay nasa thought sally ride needed a hundred tampons for a six-day flight yeah engineers asked ride in quotes is a hundred the right number and she responded that would not be the right number <laughs> <laughs> and apparently the male engineers then replied we just want to be safe <laughs> what <laughs> like a hundred tampons <laughs> like <laughs> all right anyway. i wonder that actually directly translates into a dollar amount per tampon because dollar per weight is a real thing in space it, it actually <laughs> is yes and it's why it's something that's considered like they wasted money if they sent all those tampons with her yeah i don't know yeah. if they did or not it's just ridiculous. No woman needs 100 tampons for six days. Nope. <laughs> All right. At a NASA news conference, Ride was quoted saying, it's too bad this is such a big deal. It's too bad our society isn't further along. And I think that's a good way to phrase it. It was just too bad. Ju- on June, July, wow. All right. On June 18th, 1983, the space shuttle Challenger took off from Cape Canaveral, making Sally Ride the first American woman in space. She was actually the third woman worldwide. Cosmonauts Valentina Tereshkova, we also have an episode about her, went to space in 1963. And Svetlana Savitskaya went to space in 1982. It essentially took us about 20 years from Valentina's flight for the U.S. to put a woman in space. And I still can't get over that. It was two decades between the first woman's space flight to the first American woman's space flight. Yep. When I was reading about it and listening to it, you know the years jumped out at me and I was like wait what really it's it was 20 years then I read that after the first Russian human space flight of Yuri Gagarin who was the first person the first man in space pretty much right after that the Soviet chief designer had the idea of flying a woman in space like right away on the second mission he knew that they wanted to fly a woman yeah, it's actually really interesting. Um, you unintentionally wrapped our episode about Valentina and Yuri, so thank you. Go listen. Um, the Russian, the director of the Russian space program, at least I think it was the director, was essentially like, after he flew a man, he was like, we need women on board too. But he was like, we need women to be invested in this space program as well. And the only way we can really do that is by flying a woman. Wow. Right? Really interesting. It's- yeah, it's such a interesting gap of either how fast they progressed or alternatively how slowly we progressed. we progressed. Yeah, but we did end up getting there in the end. It's episode four was the first people in space. If you're curious about Valentina, she's a cool lady. She's still alive, Valentina Tereshkova. She's a nice. really interesting woman. Yeah, but 
It took us 20 years, but we got there. And many people attending the launch wore t-shirts with Ride Sally Ride on them, which is a lyric from the song Mustang Sally by William Pickett. It's funny, if you Google Sally Ride, one of the first autocompletes is, is Mustang Sally about Sally Ride? No, it's not. But (laughs) the goal of the mission was to deploy two communication satellites and the first shuttle pallet satellite, SPAS-1, S-P-A-S-1, as well as to test the TDRS satellite, which is tracking and data relay, as well as conduct a variety of experiments in the cargo bay. Ride used the robotic arm that she helped develop to deploy and retrieve SPAS-1, and the mission lasted six days, two hours, 23 minutes, and 59 seconds, and she orbited the Earth 97 times. So they essentially wanted to send one tampon for every orbit of Earth. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That I, is a good way to look at that. It didn't. I just read that, and I was like, wait, wait, wait. I don't actually know if they sent 100 tampons with her or not, but they feasibly thought that would be she would need one for every orbit. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> Upon returning to Earth, Sally Ride is quoted saying, I'm sure it was the most fun that I'll ever have in my life. And in 1984, Ride actually went to space again as Mission Specialist 2, keeping her same title, on the Challenger shuttle as part of STS-41G. This mission lasted for eight days, five hours, 23 minutes, 33 seconds, and completed 132 orbits around the Earth. She was actually scheduled for a third mission, STS-61M, and had completed eight months of training before the Challenger disaster occurred, which is truly horrible. Yeah, and she went on to help with that investigation, that's correct? Yeah, exactly. She was appointed to the Rogers Commission by the president at the time, Ronald Reagan, and the commission was charged with investigating the Challenger disaster. Just as a fun fact, Neil Armstrong was actually the vice chairman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. thought that was interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's also neat that you said at the beginning that she was inspired by Neil Armstrong, because it's interesting to think that she eventually went on to work with him. Right. Yeah, sometimes the timelines come together. As a panel member, Ride had a reputation for asking tough questions. I'm not going to break down exactly what happened in the Challenger disaster. If you're curious about it, I highly recommend you look it up on Google. I'm sure we will do an episode about it one day. But just to touch on it a little bit, I think it's important to the story. An engineer named Roger Boyce Jolly who had worked on the space shuttle rocket boosters, spoke up and warned his bosses about potential issues with the O-rings and cold weather before the disaster occurred. He was shunned by his colleagues for admitting to this, for essentially saying after it happened, like, hey, I said something. And after his testimony, the normally reserved Sally Ride hugged him and was the only panelist to offer him support. Wow. Yeah, I know. It just says a lot about her. Years later in 2003, she also served on the investigative panel for the Columbia disaster, and she was the only person to serve on both. During her time at NASA, she led NASA's first strategic planning effort and founded NASA's Office of Exploration, among myriad of other things. In 1987, she chose to end her NASA career, and she took a position as a science fellow at Stanford's Center for International Security and Arms Control. In 1989, she went on to become a professor of physics at UC San Diego, as well as the director of the California Space Institute. So she did. She did become a professor of physics. She did do that. She just had quite the interesting detour before getting there. Yeah, so she got to live out a couple of her dreams. Yeah, very impressively so. That sounds cheesy. You don't have to put that in there. (laughs) I don't think it's cheesy. It's true, right? (laughs) She made it. 
She had a passion for getting young people, especially girls, interested in space, and she wanted to make science and engineering cool again. In 2001, she started the company Sally Ride Science, which created science programs and publications for upper elementary and middle school students, as well as providing teacher training. Sammy, you actually met Sally Ride, right, at one of these space days or camps or something? I did, at one of the Sally Ride festivals put on by this program. I can say that it was successful, at least for one person, and I'm sure many other girls and students. I think it was 2002 or 2003 in Irvine, California, the local university hosted Sally Ride and her foundation, and it was a day filled with fun science activities for the young students and She was there signing books and signing little space teddy bears. I actually left with one of the books that she and Tam O'Shaughnessy wrote, The Mystery of Mars. Aww. I still have that book. And you have a signed space bear too, right? Yep, yep. She signed these little teddy bears that had silver astronaut vests on. (laughs) That's so cute. (laughs) Very successful program, I think. She inspired a lot of us. I know the kids at my school were excited about it. As Sammy kind of jumped to, she co-wrote seven books on space, which are aimed at children. I haven't read any of them, but I want to. Is the one you have good? It is very good. It has some great pictures of Mars. It's geared towards children. And it explains what a day on Mars is like, what a year on Mars is like. Really cool pictures of space hardware and then looking back at the Earth. And All right, I'll have to read her books. I have to read Mae Jemison's books too and watch all of Star Trek Next Generation. So it's a good <laughs> thing I've got some time on my hands. So Some fun homework. I know, I'm not complaining. Unfortunately, Rye died on July 23rd, 2012 from pancreatic cancer. She was only 61 years old. After her death, it was revealed by her company that she co-founded, Sally Ride Science, that she had been in a relationship with a woman named Tam O'Shaughnessy. As a result, she was essentially the first LGBTQ person to go into space. And that means a lot to a whole lot of people and is incredibly important. Tam is a professor of psychology at San Diego State University, or at least she was. Six of the seven books Ride she co-authored with O'Shaughnessy. Sally Ride received numerous awards throughout her life. I cannot list them all here. A small sampling, if you will. The National Space Society's Von Braun Award, the Lindenberg Eagle, and the NCAA's Theodore Roosevelt Award. She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame and the Astronaut Hall of Fame and was awarded the NASA Space Flight Medal twice. And on November 20th, 2013, she was posthumous. Posthumously? Thank you. <laughs> I'm having a rough time today. She was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Barack Obama which is the highest civilian honor in the U.S. And this was presented to her partner, Tam. Sammy kind of touched on this. Sally Ride was incredibly private about her social life and her private life. And as a result, I'm not really going to talk about it. There's not a lot out there online, but I didn't even make an attempt to find anything because if she didn't want to talk about it in her life, I think we should respect that and not talk about it here. That's a very respectful gesture. It's huge that she was the first LGBT person and woman in space 
It really is. She means so much to so many people. And I think that quote that Sammy brought up earlier about how she didn't intend to be a role model, but when she realized she was, she knew how important it was. And even after her death, she just continued to be a role model for so many different people. And part of that same interview that she was in with that first quote, something that I liked that really stuck with me, she said, Young girls need to see role models in whatever careers they may choose, just so they can picture themselves doing those jobs someday. You can't be what you can't see. So true. It's so true, and it's so profound in such a simple way to say it. You've given this advice before, and I know our other friends have, but for our listeners, finding a mentor and finding a role model who you can relate to and use their life and career paths as a guide for yours, it could help. Yes. We talk about all these amazing people. It's so interesting to see where they started. They all have different paths. You never know where your life will lead you. Take baby steps. You don't have to focus on the big jumps. Focus on what's next, which is something I'm working on. My mom always tells me to be like, just focus on what's next. Because I will get anxious about something that's 15 steps ahead of where I am right now. And I really just need to focus on what's ahead of me. But it can be hard. Yep, I feel that. Especially right now. In these days. (laughs) Yeah, tell me about it. I did think it was cute. I read because later on, Tam O'Shaughnessy did speak publicly a little bit more, but in a very respectful manner. Yes, um, apparently, of they knew each other in high school. They were friends. They met each other while they were playing tennis. Aww. And so I thought that was kind of cute. Yes, I did Obvi- read that they were childhood friends who found each other again, which is really sweet. Yeah, and they both are obviously passionate about education. They both seem like wonderful people. There was a a few quotes from this Harvard Business Review interview that I found interesting and pretty relevant to today, especially since, you know, unfortunately, she died back in 2012. I know. It's kind of sad. She never got to see same-sex marriage become legal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. In this Harvard Business Review interview, the reporter asked her, among other questions, why commercialize space, which we're doing right now and what Anna and I have talked about. (laughs) I thought it was interesting because she made somewhat of a true prediction. When she was asked why commercialize space, she replied, at Sally Ride Science, we felt it was important to do this as a commercial business because then we would be held to a different standard of managing the company. We would have to run an efficient organization and to produce things that school districts or teachers or parents would pay for. That same thinking applies to commercial space. The companies that have sprung up and been quite successful in their admittedly early stages have a strong belief that they can do things more efficiently than the government can. Of course, they don't have the luxury of layers and layers of oversight and quality control that NASA is able to put onto a project. So I think that's the balancing act. My strong preference would have been to continue the shuttle program while we were actively pursuing the commercial route. Now we're left with a six or seven year gap during which we will not be able to launch people into space, but it just proved impossible to give the appropriate focus to both so the decision was made to focus on the commercial 
end quote. What I find really interesting is that that article or interview was done in 2012. And so she noted six or seven year gap. That means 2019. And she was pretty much right on target because 2020 is when we as a country, launched people back into space. That's amazing. And she was exactly right. So we gave up when we ended the shuttle program. We gave up the ability to launch people into space for a period of time. And everybody, we had to depend on the Russians to launch Americans into space. You could check out the episode Sammy and I did about Crew Dragon, that launch. That was the first time Americans had been launched into space after the shuttle program ended from U.S. soil. Wow, what an amazing woman. Yeah, she was a visionary. And she seems so well composed and intelligent. She does. Visionary is the perfect adjective. (laughs) Yes. A really incredible woman. She's inspired many people. She continues to do so. All right. That's all I've got, unless you've got more. I don't think so. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. As per usual, you can find us on Instagram at But It Is Rocket Science. You can find us on Twitter at But It Is RS. You can find our Facebook page, But It Is Rocket Science. And then we have our website, But It Is Rocket Science.com. If you enjoyed this, please check out our website. If you want to learn more about us, check out our website. And then you can actually contact us. So if there's anything you want to let us know, if we've said anything wrong, if there's anything you'd like to learn, if you just want to tell us you like the podcast, please send us a message on our Contact Us page. And then if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast. It would mean a lot to us. Now we get to do what is my guilty pleasure. Favorite part is the end. All right, if you're ready to close it out. I'm ready. Until next time, Space Cadets. T-minus three, two, one, liftoff. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.